He's a retired L.A. Sheriff's Department homicide detective. He was assigned as a supervisor to a special enforcement team. Two of his officers, Kevin Burrell and James McDonald, were shot and killed in the line of duty. He's here to tell the story on the Law Enforcement Today show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio radio show on Facebook. Calling us from the state of California, we have Fred Reynolds on the phone. Fred is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's homicide detective. He's also author of the book, Black, White, and Gray All Over. And Fred, first of all, thank you for your service. And secondly, thanks for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show. Very much appreciated. I'm honored to be here. It's good to have you here. We're talking about something. Most of our conversations are tough. Most of the, the, the people that come in as guests on the Law Enforcement Today show don't have happily ever after, heartwarming, uplifting stories to tell. Yours is one of those. You're retired law enforcement, and I got to tell you, my biggest fear in law enforcement, well, the two of them, was uh, me shooting someone, an innocent person or another police officer, and the other one was having officers that worked under me killed on the line of duty. And you, unfortunately, had to go through that with the deaths of Kevin Burrell and James McDonald, correct? Yes. Brother, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you dealt with it. I I went through a death of a, when I was a sergeant, uh, a young officer named William Martin uh, worked for me, and I transferred to another district, and a couple months later, he was shot and killed in line of duty. And I'll be honest with you, Fred, I still have problems with that. I still, I don't have guilt anymore. Over it. it took a long time to, to disarm that, but I still have really negative, I'd say tough emotions over it. Yeah, so do I. Um, you know, it, I, I didn't have any idea just how deep the level of um, emotion or responsibility that I took upon myself. You know, for a long time, I blamed myself for the death of these officers. Um, on the night that they were killed, it was February 22nd, 1993. And w- this, I worked in the city of Compton at that time. I was, I was a Compton police officer uh, from 1985 until 2000. Then the sheriff's department came in and assumed responsibility for policing the city of Compton. And I went and I became a, a deputy sheriff. But when, my, when the officers were murdered in 93, I was a field training officer for the Compton Police Department. And the city had been dealing with a, a rash of shootings and murders. Um, I mean, it was it was unbelievable. We were having at least two or three gunshot victims every night, and probably two murders, one, you know, once a week. Um, it, it was unbelievable the amount of violence that we were dealing with. So as a result, the watch commander on the shift that night he put together um, 
you know, a team, he called them a strike force just to go out and target, you know, gang areas and try to keep the gang related shooting, shootings down. So we didn't answer any radio calls. We just, we just rolled around to all the hot spots and, and, you know, we dealt with gangsters, shoot them away, tried to arrest them if we caught them doing something illegal. Um, and we had did that all night and I, I was dating a girl, you know, I thought I was in love with her and I wanted to get off early and go see her. So when, when everything kind of quieted down, um, we were supposed to get off at one thirty, but around 11 o'clock I went in and I asked the watch commander if I could, if I can get off early. Right. My whole purpose was, was to go see this girl. Well, while I'm about to get dressed uh, to leave work, um, over the station intercom system, the dispatcher broadcasted that we had an officer down at Rosecrans and Dwight. And I had been a cop at that time. Uh, by that time, I had been a cop for about seven years. And I had never heard an officer down call. But I know every, every cop knows officer down. It, you know, it makes, it makes the hair on your, on your neck rise. It, it makes yeah. the skin crawl because you know it's not anything good. So I slammed my locker shut and I ran up the stairs and I was out and to get my trainee, I was training a guy at the time by the name of Ivan Swanson. And I told him, let's go. So we jumped in our car. And as soon as we were pulling off the back lot, the dispatcher updated to call the two officers down. Now, one officer down is bad enough. But when they say two officers down, you know, something really bad happened. So we rolled, um, you know, lights, emergency lights and sirens on. We get to the scene and, um, I see these two officers and, and they're both, they're both dead in the street. Um, one has a gunshot wound to his face. Um, officer McDonald, you know, I still get emotional when I tell, tell the story because just like you were telling me about the officer, um, that died on your watch, um, it's something that you carry with you, right? Um, there's hardly a day go that goes by when I don't think of my friends being killed. And Compton PD was a very small, department. It was about 125. So we knew each other intimately, all of us. And Officer Burrell was, he was one of my best friends. Um, you know, I watched him grow up from a kid, 15 years old. He's a community service officer, uh, an explorer, a jailer, and then he, he became a cop. So I watched this kid as he went through the law enforcement process all the way up to, you know, where he always wanted to be a police officer. And I watched him reach that goal. And, you know, when I saw them lying in the street dead, um, you know, a lot, a range of emotions went over me, came over me rather. And, um, you know, I didn't, I, I was kind of shocked for a minute. I, you know, I, I considered myself a, a, a good street cop, hardened, you know, someone that could deal with anything that came at me. But that I was not prepared for. I, I don't think there's anything that dead. prepares you for that. And, yeah. look, it sounds like your career was a lot like mine. A lot of violence, a lot of homicides, a lot of shootings, and you do get kind of hardened to it. And you become a right. good, you use the term, I love, street cop. And I consider myself to be a street cop of a compliment when I give that to someone. So seven years on the job, you've seen pretty much everything. In an agency like yeah. Compton, Baltimore, you've been it, you've been through it, you've been through it many times. Yes, yes. And, you know, and... I just, it was just surreal to me that my friends were, were lying in the street dead, right? And I mean, and, and Kevin, he sustained horrific wounds. Uh, you know, he was shot in the face and the head. And so, you know, I, well, I, I, I kind of got composed myself. I started giving orders what to do, you know, block off intersections, you know, put up the crime scene tape, let's get everybody rolling. 
and then, you know, I went over, there was a little bridge um, that ran over a creek next to where they were, where they were murdered. And once all the, you know, the world rolls when, when the cop is shot. So, you know, there were sirens everywhere, cop cars everywhere. I looked up and all of a sudden there was like cops everywhere. And I, I didn't even see them arriving, most of them. But I was on this bridge and I was trying to compose myself. And the watch commander that night came over and he, you know, he touched me on the shoulder. He said, hey, man, you need, I need you to handle this, right? Because I was one of the most senior officers on and I was considered one of the better uh, writers on the department. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a really good eye for detail. So they, they, they made me handle the case. So not only did I have to see my friends dead in the street, I also had to conduct the initial investigation. And, you know, if you're from a large agency, um, that would never happen. No. You know, they would take someone out and they would bring someone that doesn't have an emotional attachment to the victim to handle it. But we didn't. We we weren't afforded that luxury. Well, that's so one I had of the, the drawbacks it. of having a smaller agency. And I got to confess, when I was young patrolman in Baltimore, I thought, you know, the county guys, the sheriff's departments, they had it easy. I didn't realize the time there's a whole lot less of them. They had to do everything. Backup was a lot further away. And when you come from a small agency, you said a, a critical point is that you don't have the luxury of relying on someone else to come in. We are talking with Fred Reynolds. Fred is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department homicide detective. He's also author of the book Black, White, and Gray All Over. He's talking about the murder of police officers Kevin Burrell and James McDonald in the Compton, California Police Department. We're going to take a short break. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. I promise you, we'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return conversation of Fred Reynolds. Fred is calling us from California. He is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department homicide detective, also author of the book Black, White, and Gray All Over. In 1993, he is with the Compton Police Department, which was disbanded and absorbed by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. He was a field training officer. And he's talking about the incident where two of his co-workers, police officers Kevin Burrell and James McDonald, were shot and killed. And when we left for break, you rolled up on a scene you were an FTO. You're kind of a senior guy. You were a great report writer, and your watch commander said, I need you to take over this. I need you to be the primary investigating officer. First of all, I don't know about you. I can only assume, and I hate to assume. You know what to say about that. When really bad things happen to me, part of my first response, Fred, was, I can't believe this is happening to me. I can't believe this is going on. And I, yes. I, I wonder if there was like a surreal element when you get there and you see your friends down the street, they're both dead. You're like, I can't, I can't believe this is going on. Yes. Yes. It was, it was like an out of body, uh, experience. Like you said, um, uh, the perfect word describes it. It was surreal. 
Um, you know, with, because I had seen so many gunshot victims, so many murdered people um, during my tenure working in the city of Compton. You know, it, it almost became like a, and I hate to be callous, but it, it almost came to be where we just, you know, performed it like robots. You know, we get there, we, we, you know, we locate witnesses, we rope off the scene, you know, we mark evidence and we wait for detectives to arrive. And then we go, we sit in our cars and we eat a donut and we drink coffee. You know, that was the way patrol officers normally handled gunshot victim and uh, murder uh, victim calls. And, and part of this that, by one, the way, is, I think, to protect ourselves because you see so yes. much of it. And I would love to tell you right now, Fred, that every death, and every person that, that the last thing they saw was me or another Baltimore police officer, that those things didn't take a toll on me. They did. I did my best yeah. to protect myself, develop the hard exterior, the gallows humor, all that stuff you talked about. But it didn't succeed. In the long run, it kind of crippled me. Yeah, because we, we internalize it, you know, because, I mean, law enforcement, much like, you know, the military, um, we have to be seen as, as, as those uh, people that you can count on, those people that aren't rattled by certain things. We, you know, because we all, we've always been taught that if we display emotion, it's, it's a show of weakness. Right. So we internalize it and we definitely don't want to be seen as weak amongst our peers. Right. But it took me years to find out that we all feel the same trauma and we all internalize it in different ways. Now, after I processed that scene, I, I had to, to catalog the bloody equipment from my friends, their, their badges. They had blood stains on them. And, you know, I'm in, in, the, in the report writing room and I'm doing this and it was almost like I it wasn't me really doing it. It was almost like, you know, someone else had entered my body and started doing that processing the evidence and writing the report. Um, and, and the woman that I wanted to get off early to go see when I was finally done with my duties, uh, regarding that investigation, you know, I went to her apartment and, you know, she had another guy there. Right. So, you know, now I realize that, okay, I wanted to get off early to see this woman and she's seeing someone else. And if I hadn't have wanted to get off early to see her, maybe I could have been there when my friends encountered this, you know, criminal, this murderer, and maybe it, everything would have turned out different. Right. So I blamed myself because I was in charge of that unit that the watch commander put together. And for a long time, I felt like I let my team down because, you know, I wanted to get off early to go see a woman and, you know, my friends were murdered. I'll be honest. With you, I think right? that is pretty natural, Fred, because I retired to the rank of sergeant and ultimately is my responsibility to make sure the guys, when I say guys, that means men and women that work for me were safe yes. and that they did their yes. job to the best of their ability, that the people got yes. the best service possible. So you kind of really had and buffer them from lieutenants and above. So, yes. The guilt, I don't know of a way not to have it because you're kind of, I'm not saying you were responsible, but part of us, we feel like a deep level of responsibility. This guy was committed to killing them. There was no doubt yes. about it. Yes, he was a bad man, real bad man. Um, one of the most ruthless gang members from one of the most ruthless gangs in L.A. County. And, you know, Burrell and McDonald, they came across him. Um, you know, and like I said, I blame myself because, you know, I feel like those are my guys and, right. you know, I'm responsible for making sure that they get home safe to their families. And I felt like I had let them down. I felt like that for a long time. 
you know, and I, when I when I finally got home after, you know, realizing that, you know, I, I tried to get off early to see this woman who wasn't obviously wasn't into me as much as I was into her. And because of this, to me, I felt like I let my friends down and 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 they died as a result of, of my lust. And you part know, of me perfectly candid with you, I, I, Fred, I um, get it. Look, when I was 22, 23, 24. Uh, even into my early 30s, I was a totally different guy than I am today. And my priorities right. are totally different. You know, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. You know, I'm not God. I'm not Superman. I'm a, a good street cop. And I do the best I could. And sometimes the best I can do is not good enough. It doesn't. Every, you and I both know this. Everyone doesn't survive no matter how hard we try. Right. And sometimes, right. sometimes it's got to be good enough. I'll be honest with you, Fred. No one can convince me that when I'm going through it. Right. Oh, yeah. Nobody can tell. I mean, people will tell you, oh, man, it, was, it wasn't your fault. There was nothing you could do. It was going to happen anyway. Yeah, you know, that's just lip service when, when, when you're carrying in this, this guilt in, inside of you, you know. And when I got home that, that next day, um, you know, I went to the store and, and I bought a bottle of booze and I drank until I passed out. And I had, you know, I had blood, still had blood on my hands you know, from handling um, their uniforms and their bats, you know, and I'm looking at my hands, I got blood on my hands, I'm drinking, I just pass out, um, you know, and, 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 and I went through that for three, four, five days, just, you know, whenever one bottle was empty, I'd go get another one. And, and I went, also went through a period where I felt like I didn't even want to be a cop anymore. Um, you know, it was, it was really, really a, a struggle for me. I didn't, I didn't talk to anyone I should have. Um, well, that was you know, a different and, and, era. We didn't talk about stuff back then. Yeah, because it was it was it was looked down upon by your peers. It's like, oh, where you go? You want to talk to a well, psych? What's wrong? You you know. Yeah, it, the other it, thing is, you know, we're, we're supposed to be the ones that have the answers for people. We're supposed to solve right. their problems. And I, I I still to this day have a hard time letting anybody help me. I have a difficult time even telling people to help me. And you said earlier something very important: showing emotions was a sign of weakness, and. Right away, we assume the emotions of sadness and uh, all that stuff. That also incorporates things like anger, someone who loses it all the time on calls. You don't want that guy yeah. around. If you have to cuff someone and take them into custody, you don't want some hothead coming in, inflaming a situation and making it worse. So it's not just sadness. It's all emotion. You, you had to really be measured all the time. Yes. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And, and you know, I'm sure, like most cops, there's always one knucklehead that goes in. You know, the guys are... There were times it was me. Arrested. I'll be honest with yeah. you. There were times I yeah. lost it. And that's one of the things about the squad concept that we can talk about later if we have time. When someone's having a bad day, a bad moment, the squad takes over, pulls them aside, puts them in the car, says, we got it from here. You take it easy. We'll handle it. Uh, and sometimes those roles reverse. But... The whole emotion is a sign of weakness. When we return to our conversation with Fred Reynolds, we're going to talk more about the impact of the murders of police officers Kevin Burrell and James McDonald on him and his career. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break. I promise you, we'll be right back. Miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. 
And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Back to our conversation with Fred Reynolds calling us from California. Fred is a retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department homicide detective, author of the book Black, White, and Gray All Over. Early in his career, he was a member of the Compton, California Police Department, which was disbanded and absorbed by the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. And in February 22nd, 1993, two of his co-workers, his officers, Kevin Burrell and James McDonald, were shot and killed in the line of duty, and he was the primary investigating officer on scene. Before we went to break, Kevin, you're talking about something a lot of us do. When really, really bad things happen, a lot of times we deal with it by not being able to sleep, so we drink ourselves to sleep. We drink ourselves into passing out every night, and we isolate it. We don't talk to anybody because a range of emotions. And some could say we don't trust ourselves. That's why we do that. I'm not that much of a deep thinker. I just know it's something I did. And for many of us, when we do that, it works for a while and then it can be kind of productive. You were drinking yourself into passing out every night for nights in a row. Yes. Yes, I was. And um, I was younger then and I could recover um, quicker. So I would drink late into the night, come home two, three in the morning after choir practice with, with the, with the guys and girls, because we have females that, you know, that, uh, were just like us, female cops. And I'd come home, get a couple hours of sleep, wake up and go right back to work and, and, and be productive. Um, but it was, it, it was being productive for the moment, but like you said, it, it, it was counterproductive, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, I was, like I said, I was always a, a very good street cop. Um, I was one of the most productive, so I was good professionally um, for the most part. But in my personal life, it was it was it was coming apart, and I was having a hard time um, trying to determine whether I wanted to remain a police officer. You know, but it it, it was bad, man. It was it was it was really really bad. And, and like I said, to this day. Um, I think about it, and I carried the burden. Um, I blame myself for for what happened to them. Well, you're not alone. You're not alone to blame yourself. I still blame myself for Billy Martin, and I wasn't there. I was in a different district. You know, there's nothing I could have done. In reality, Mm -hmm. I know this. You know that. One of the things people don't seem to understand when you have hardcore, violent career criminals, gang members. You said this guy was one of the worst of the worst. When they're in prison. When they're in prison, they practice coming off the wall, disarming, and shooting police. They practice it daily. When they come out, they are ready for this. And it's like their chosen profession, just like yours and I is with law enforcement. There's hazards that come along with that. But the reality is we didn't get to train every day. These guys do. Yeah. Yeah, for us, a lot of times life gets in the way. You know, we have families, we have kids, we got to take our kids to basketball games, pick them up from school. You come home, you're exhausted, you go to sleep, you wake up, you go right back to work. The meantime, your adversary, like you said, he's locked up and he's doing 100 push-ups, you know, four times a day. He's doing 1,000 sit-ups and, you know, he's practicing coming off the walls and disarming police officers. And these are these are the individuals that we have to deal with in order to try to make our communities just a little bit safer. A lot of people don't, don't realize that, or maybe they just don't care. But um, in, in terms of, of tactics, a lot of times we're outgunned 
by by the uh, the criminals, the ones that are committed to that life, they practice it. And yeah. you know, like I said, we have lives. When I when Kevin and and Jimmy were murdered, I was not too long divorced. I had a I had two kids. Um, a boy and a girl. And, you know, to be honest with you, I was drinking so much and the work was, the job was consuming me and the guilt. I, you know, I, I kind of neglected them for right. a period. You know, um, it, it was, it wasn't a situation where they lived with me. It was a situation where the mother had custody and I got weekend visits and, you know, two, two weeks out, out of, uh, every, every other month. And, you know, the quality of my visits with them while I was going through that, it, it wasn't good, you know. And I thought that I was doing the right thing because, you know, okay, I pick up my kids, I'm taking them, I'm going to spend whatever money I want on them, I'm going to buy whatever they want. But I wasn't fulfilling the emotional need, um, the attachment to their father that a child needs, you know. I thought that if I just shower them with gifts, it's okay. And then I'd come, you know, pour me a you know, glass of booze and, you know, let them play video games or watch videos. You I know, swear, it, it wasn't good. I swear you're telling my story. You, you really are. One of the things that happened for me, Kevin, is, you know, we didn't come home and talk about what you we went through during that day. And the reasons why is I didn't want my wife to worry any more than she did. She already had right. enough on her plate. And there was a lot that mm-hmm. came with with two newborn children, all that stuff. And very slowly, I began to isolate and withdraw because I was so angry all the time that I I didn't want to respond and I and I wound up drinking and drinking until I could pass out every night and that's what I did. Mm-hmm. But there came mm-hmm. a point, Kevin, and I'm gonna ask you this, that I became deeply ashamed of who I was. Not of the things I did, but who I'd become because I never set out to be that guy. And I right. felt like I'd let my kids down. I let my uh, wife at the time down. I let my mother, my father, my siblings all down and I was living a... a a someone a life of someone who I didn't want to be, and, and I, I was I was the exact same way. The only difference is, I you know I was single, you know I was a divorcee, so I would go out drink, pick up these women, strange women, you know, um, have one night stands with them, and would never call them again, never see them again, you know, and, and that's that's not a good thing, man. But that's the way that I wanted to be because I didn't want anyone close to me. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, I get I didn't you 100%. Want anyone close to me to get hurt again. So I went through I went through this, you know, it, it wasn't good the way I treated women. You know, I wasn't um I wasn't caring. I wasn't committed to a lot of these women. They were just things to do. And I understand that it's bad. I understand that that was a horrible thing to do. But then I met this woman that was a dispatcher um at the Compton Police Department. Uh she was one of the new hires. And I took her out, and initially, I wa- you know, my plan was to do the same thing with her that I had done to these other women, right? Um, just use them for, you know, a need to, to, to get through to the next day. But it was something about her, and I started seeing her exclusively. And she en- we ended up getting married, right? And she changed my whole life, my whole perspective of how I see things. And I wanted to be a better person. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that it was a woman that, you know, ultimately helped get me back oh, on yeah. track, not only in my personal, not only in my professional life, but more importantly, in my personal life. Look, and I, I, became, I got the same I became thing. a better person. I, I was divorced, and I went through a stage where if uh, a woman I was dating said, I thought you were going to call me Tuesday, and I didn't, and, and started an argument, I'd never talk to him again. Right. Uh, and and right. That, that's the way I was. And part of it is, there's a, a negative with that. And I'm not going to get old 
psychological here, but when all you do is one night stands, part of you feels like I'm not worthy of getting to know and having intimacy. It's it's a really catch twenty two. And I met yeah. my now wife, and I when I met her, I was bound to determine never get serious with anyone ever ever again. And next thing I know, I'm proposing a few months later. Wow! And and she you know, really I'm, changed my world. I'm going to tell you, man, this book. You know, it's it's. I've read some of the reviews about it. You know, and and although the the murders of my friends are, are one of the the primary stories in the book, um, you know, it's 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 a lot about my my personal life and and my relationships. And what you just said describes, a, you know, a few parts of the book. You know, it's kind of it's kind of eerie talking to you because it seems like our careers kind of paralleled. I think we're cut from the same cloth and we're in totally you know, different sides of the country. This is a law enforcement Today show. We're talking with Fred Reynolds. Fred is retired LA County Sheriff's De- Department homicide detective. He's also author of a book. It is called Black, White, and Gray All Over. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. When we return, we're talking more about the murders of police officer Kevin Burrell, James McDonald, and its impact on Fred. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Of all the radio stations in the United States, there's only one show like ours, the Law Enforcement Today radio show. And on Facebook, there's only one official page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. That's Law Enforcement Today radio show on Facebook. When you get there, click like and follow. Back to our conversation with Fred Reynolds on the Law Enforcement Show. Fred is retired Los Angeles County Sheriff's homicide detective, author of the book Black, White, and Gray All Over. He was part of the Compton, California Police Department before it disbanded. And in February 22nd, 1993, two of his officers, Kevin Burrell and James McDonald, were gunned down, shot, and killed in the light of duty. And he was the primary investigating officer. We're going to break, Fred. You started talking about this transitioning life. You're going to the stage of, and I did it too, where you isolate, you shut down, you don't want to be around people, you don't want to let anyone get really close to you, you're drinking too much. And I said, did you become ashamed of who you were? Because I did. And then you met this lady. And I want to say the typical Hollywood ending. All of a sudden, the clouds part and life is wonderful. I know it wasn't like that, but she's a big part of helping you get to where you're at today. Yes. She, um, she was, she was everything. She helped me get back on track. She, she helped me see the good in the world, you know, despite the fact that I was surrounded by the darkness. And, you know, as far as my job was concerned, I was still dealing with the murders and, and then it, it evolved into, um, the, the political corruption in the city, um, which ultimately caused the sheriff's department to, you know, to take over the Compton Police Department after it was disbanded. Um, I was the I was at the center of that investigation, which um, which was about uh, corruption in our narcotics uh, unit. Um, you know that and that story is is long and complicated, but I I did talk about it extensively in the book. Um, you know, and uh, right now I don't think I could you know, I could explain it well enough. We'd have to have you have back um, to talk about it. I, all I can say is this. I've been retired a long time. I got hurt and retired young. And to this day, whenever I hear reports of corruption 
in police work, it doesn't matter where it is in the United States, it doesn't matter how long ago it was, part of me gets really, really angry. Yes, yes. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm most proud of in, in this book because, you know, I talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? And, I, you know, I would always read, you know, cop books, and they were always like hero stories. You know, it's kind of like every book I read, oh, I was the most decorated officer in history of my department. I made the most arrests. You know, just, I mean, just Clint Eastwood kind of, kind of books, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, well, I did this job for a long time, and I don't know anyone like that. You know what I mean? I don't right. know anyone that, that, you know, just had a sparkling career and, and everything was just great for them. It's like, you know, there, there's bad and there's ugly in every department, right? And I wanted to write about my department, and in order for me to write about the department and present it in a way to where the reader would believe it, I had to write. I had to describe, I had to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not just in the department, but in myself too, right? Because we, we've, all, we've all fallen short of who we're supposed to be. Absolutely. You understand what I'm saying? So I've, I've felt like in order, for someone, in order for me to portray an accurate depiction of myself and, and my career, I had to give it all. And I gave it all. And it ruffled some feathers. But I talked about myself and my faults and failings just as much as I talked about others. You understand what I'm saying? So I, right now to this day, I'm able to look in the mirror every day and not have any regrets about the job that I did and the things that I had to do to be successful in it. And I because was going I never to ask you. I never treated anyone bad. I never treated anyone bad. I never, you know, I had to use force because I, I worked in an area where force was required right. a lot. Same here. Right? But I, I never killed anyone. And, you know, I never wanted to kill anyone. I would have if the situation would have presented itself and I had no other choice. Fortunately, I was not put into that position, right? And that's why I don't, um, Monday morning quarterback officers that have had to use force, that have had to shoot people, I'm just thankful that I wasn't in the position that they were in at the time, if that makes sense. I had so many close calls and and. A little over 10 years, I was in four shootings. And the mm-hmm. first two, I never even fired back. Immediately, I knew that the threat was over. The second two were long right. drawn-out affairs. Everybody survived, thank goodness. Right. Okay. But you know what? It could easily go on another way. And there were so many close right. calls before where it didn't end in gunfire that it could have very easily. One of the questions I have for you is, you've obviously made a big transition. And you know what? The older I get, the more narrow the road becomes for my moral compass. Things that I right. felt I could get away with my 20s and early 30s, I can't do now. I don't want right. to do. I, I hold myself to a very high standard. Are you the same way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, because part of my story also talks about growing up in Detroit. Um, and, you know, I, I associated with gang members. And there was a, you know, I, I went to juvenile hall. Um, I was arrested a bunch of times. Uh, and ultimately, the reason that I came to be in California is because I was trying to escape Detroit because I knew what my future held if I stayed there. So I joined the Marine Corps, right? I had just turned 18. I joined the Marine Corps. Um, my first duty station, official duty station was in California at Camp Pendleton. And on the weekends we would go out to, you know, the nightclubs and we, we happened to go out to a nightclub in Inglewood. And that's where I, w- I met my first wife who just happened to be from Compton. 
So that's how I came to know of Compton. That's how I came to be a police officer in Compton. But I know I, I was, I think I was always successful because I had been on both sides of the track. Right. 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 And I realized that once I got on the side of the track, um, that I, I chose to be my career, I wasn't going to straddle on that track. I was either going to be a good guy or I was either going to be a bad guy. There's no middle of the road. Growing, yeah. When I was growing up, man, you know, we looked at cops one way, right? It's kind of like, is he a dirty cop or is he a good cop? You know, most people don't think that criminals look at cops like that, but they do, right? They have more respect for the cops that do things the right way because ultimately it's a game. They're out there trying to do things right. to get away with it, and cops are out there trying to catch them. You know what I mean? And those crooks, they have no respect for the cops that the color outside of the lines. And I didn't want to be one of those cops because I knew how to do the job the right way without losing who I was, if that makes any sense. It does. And for me, it was a, a lot of adjustments. I'll be honest with you. People say, you knew what you signed up for. I thought I knew. I thought I knew how mm -hmm. violent it was going to be. I really didn't know. I was not prepared. Uh, I have scars, both physical and mental and emotional. But you know what? It comes with territory, and I'm proud of those scars. So yes. you're not going to find me apologizing to anybody. But it was a transition to get to where I'm at today. And that's where I want to get to you. You really started changing your life. You really started saying, hey, I don't like the path I'm going down. I want to do things differently. You found a way to deal with the survivor's guilt, and then you decided to write this book. Was writing the book part of your therapy? Oh, my God. It was like the keyboard Sigmund Freud. Uh, you know, it, a lot of parts, I cried as I was writing it, you know. But the parts that I, that I got most emotional about were the parts that dealt with my personal life. Um, you know, where I came from, going through everything that I had to go through to get to where I am today. Yeah, there was, there was a time when I was homeless. I slept in all-night movie theaters. I'd sneak in through the exit door, and, you know, I slept in cars, um, anywhere, you know, because it, it, was, it was just a, a, a difficult time period for me. This was before I made the decision to, to become a police officer. You know, I was, I was estranged from my family in Detroit. I didn't talk to them for a while, and it was because of emotional trauma that I went through as a child. Gotcha. Well, the woman, the woman that I met, Carolyn, you know, she helped me see through all that. You know, she helped me reconnect with my family. So it, it was it was a lot more than just me meeting this woman thinking, oh, my God, she's hot. I want to date her. You know, it was it was so much deeper. And I had never experienced that before. And I think um, that we'll have to read the book to get more insight into you, your progression, your journey to where you're at today. Fred Reynolds, retired L.A. Sheriff's homicide detective, author of the book Black, White, and Gray All Over. I want to thank you so much for your service. And really, thank you for spending time telling us the stories of the deaths of police officers Kevin Burrell and James McDonald. Your journey during and after, all very much appreciated. Where can people get more information about your book? Uh, they, can, um, they can, Amazon carries it, uh, Barnes & Noble um, carries it. Awesome. Fred, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, 
please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.